It's good to see you all this evening. It's always good to look upon your lovely faces. Appreciate the message that we've just heard. I hope you took sincere note of it. Because that is Satan's most effective tool. If you want to open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Actually, let's read a passage out of chapter 14 first. Chapter 14. While you're finding it, I just want to say again, it's good to be with you. It's good to see you all. Started out this evening with a good uh, meal at the Dixon's house. And if, uh, if you've never uh, had a meal at their house, you're certainly missing a treat. Been knowing Elder Chris Krauss for a very long time, as having supper with him tonight, and thinking about when I first met him and and uh, my perception of him when I first met him. Uh, I thought, my Lord, <laughs> I won't fill in the rest. <laughs> but I love brother. Chris from the first time I met him. He's a dear brother and I just love him dearly. Greatly respect him and Elder Roberts has been a dear friend of mine ever since I first met him and been yoked fellows together in many ways. You've all heard of the little parable I'm in a rock. I'm between a rock and a hard place. Now the subject that's on my mind fits very well, I think, with what you've just heard, that Satan's primary weapon device is discouragement. If you would read with me first in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 4. We'll put it in context in a moment. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozaz, and the name of the other, Sinan. I'd like to talk to you for a little while tonight about what happened between Bozaz and Sinan. Now, the context is that the children of Israel had decided that they wanted a king like everybody else did. So they chose themselves a king. And they chose uh, King Saul. And he was shoulders and head above all other men. Very mighty man as he's described in the scripture. They perceived him to be the leader that they needed at that time. And they thought they would be very well satisfied with this man. <clears throat> well, they chose him and the Lord sent Samuel to, to anoint him as their king. But very quickly in chapter 12 at verse number 9 and when they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. Uh, they forgot the Lord their God. Now I want, <clears throat> I want to fill in a little gap here um, because I, I was also instructed to be brief. I was told to follow the Spirit but be brief. So I'm going to try to mix these together here so stay with me. There is a, all fun aside, let's get down to some serious business here. In the United States of America, there is a great sense of discouragement. Amen. Okay. 
I've talked to businessmen, and they think that our best days are gone in this country. Religious leaders think that our best days are gone in this country. A lot of primitive Baptists think that the best days for the church are gone in this country. All right? I'm going to stand here before you tonight, and I'm going to give you my position on that. First, my very simple position is it ain't so. Okay? <clears throat> There's a man in history. His name was General McAuliffe. Anybody know who he was? Anybody ever heard of the first, 101st Airborne? Okay? He is famous in history for one word. Anybody know what that word was? Nuts. The German commander in the Battle of the Bulge thought that he had uh, uh, he had bested the 101st Airborne in the Ardennes, and he sent a messenger to General McAuliffe and requesting that he surrender uh, so that lives would be uh, saved. General McAuliffe sent a one-word answer back. And that was nuts. Before long, that one word spread throughout the whole unit that was pinned down there in the Ardennes. That encouraged them. They had an, a leader that was brave and committed and can see a victory uh, against impossible odds. Okay? One man, one word. And I do know that that word spread because I have visited with soldiers who were there. All right? When Israel forgot God, <clears throat> they began to cry unto the Lord because the Philistines conquered them. The, I mean, conquered the whole, subjugated the whole nation of Israel. Took all of their wealth, took all of their goods, took their swords. Keep that in mind. It was a very doleful time for the children of Israel. And then the Philistine army would come and strip the land. It was so bad. I'm going to hurry through this, but I don't want to miss any of the main points. It was so bad that some of the Israelites hid in caves. Some of them fled the country. Some of them just simply trembled in their positions, totally discouraged. Some of them even joined the enemy. They were in a low state of mind. They were crying unto the Lord, and the Lord heard their cries. Well, let's pick it up in chapter 13 now. Saul, verse number one, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan. So there was 3,000 soldiers of Israel. Now, on the surface, you might think that that's a very substantial army. But the Philistines, in verse number three, um, in verse number 5, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight against Israel with 30,000 chariots. 
6,000 horsemen and people, that is foot soldiers, as the sand which is on the seashore in the multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. All right. So 3,000 men against 30,000 chariots, 6,000 cavalrymen, and foot soldiers without number. Can you understand why the people were discouraged? I would be discouraged too from the overall view, except for one thing. We'll come to that in a moment. Verse number 6. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, S-T-R-A-I-T, that means that they were in a difficult spot. Can we agree tonight that we are in a difficult time in our country? Okay. We're not going to try to elaborate. I think we got the point. For the people were distressed. That means they were discouraged. They were cast down. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks, in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Some hid themselves and some just left the country. As for Saul, he was yet at Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. So already we've got some that are hiding in caves, some that are leaving the country, and some that are just trembling in their boots. Is it clear that these people were in a state of discouragement? All right. And he tarried there for a while, and Samuel came not. He was waiting on Samuel to come. Because he had told Samuel, the, the prophet, he says, I want you to come. We need to have a sacrifice. We need to have a prayer meeting here. Well, there are certain things that the prophets and the priests could do that the king was not supposed to do. Well, Saul got tired of waiting on Samuel to arrive, so he offered the sacrifice himself. Then Samuel showed up. And Samuel asked him, well, what have you done? Uh, that is not for you to do. And then Samuel, uh, Saul says to Samuel, you didn't come, so I forced myself to disobey God. Well, Samuel left in verse number 15. Left him completely. Well, when that was done, they were left without uh, a priest, a prophet, to offer sacrifices for them. They were in a bad shape. A great army was on their border and about to overthrow them. The whole country was in a state of discouragement. Well, in verse number 19, in chapter 13, in verse number 19, now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. That was a bad time for the Smith family. Would you agree? Because there was none in Israel. The Smiths, just in case somebody doesn't know, those were the craftsmen who sharpened the blades and made the swords and sharpened them. There was no Smith there because the Philistines had taken them away. All right. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all uh, the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattocks. They couldn't even sharpen their own farming implements. They had to go down to the Philistines, to the enemies, to get their implements sharpened. That sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? To what is happening to us. 
All right? Verse number 22. So it came to pass in the day uh, of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were there, uh, uh, say with Saul and Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan are, were the only Israelites that had a sword against this great army that was about to invade them again. Would you be discouraged at such a time as that? When you read and listen to the evening news, are you discouraged now? Well, I hope and pray that after tonight, you will no longer be discouraged. You know, Satan is vile, he's vulgar, but he is strong and he is wise. He knows exactly how to tweak every one of you. He knows where your weak places are. He knows just what to say. He'll send somebody to say something that will discourage you, send you an email that will discourage you, put something on Facebook that will discourage you, put it on the evening news. Satan knows how to discourage you. Okay. Well, right in the midst of all of that, when there's only two swords in Israel, Saul and Jonathan... Don't forget that. Two swords, Saul and Jonathan. Chapter 14 and verse number 1. And it came to pass uh, upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that, that bare his armor. Every military commander had an armor bearer. That went with him. Everywhere he went, the armor bearer went with him bearing his armor. That was his duty. He was his aide. He says, come, and listen to this, come let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. Now, from a human perspective, if you were that armor bearer, and this commander says, let's go over there where the Philistines are, what would be your response? Well, General, won't you tell me about it when you get back? <laughs> That's the natural response, isn't it? All right. But this armor bearer was a bit different. He says, come let us go to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Uh, uh, Jonathan didn't tell Saul his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a palm a granite tree. All right. So this adds to the scene here. You have some folks that have hid themselves. You have some that have fled, fled the country. You have some that are trembling in their boots. And you have the leader of the country are hiding under a pomegranate tree. That's a bad state of affairs. And you got a great army about to pounce upon your country that has no means of defending itself. Is that reason to be discouraged? Is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. We'll get to that in a moment. I hate it when a preacher asks me questions. There's always two answers to it, isn't there? All right. Well, about this time, Saul, he was certain that he needed some prayer, so he, he went out and got two, uh, uh, two priests that had been put away and said, why don't you come in and offer for us? That was in verse number 3. That didn't do any good. 
Now listen to verse number 4. And between the passages uh, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozaz and the name of the other Sina. Both of those words uh, depict a very sharp and craggly looking boulder uh, so that he had to pass through a very narrow path between two very large rocks. A tough place, wouldn't you? Can you imagine being caught in a place like that before a great army that's well-equipped, well-trained? Well, verse number 6, let's skip on down there. And Jonathan said again to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison uh, of the uns- these uncircumcised, denoting that they don't have what we have. <laughs> They may have their armor, but they don't have what we have. <laughs> he says, come and let's go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, it may be that the Lord will work for us. Now, can you say that Jonathan was discouraged or encouraged? He was encouraged in an absolutely impossible situation. He says, notice how he explains his encouragement. He says, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save with many or by few. Do you believe in such a God tonight that he can deliver the church and his people in this country, uh, whether by many or by few? You believe that? I'm convinced of that. I stand upon that. I take comfort in that. And I refuse to be discouraged by the devil. I want to exhort you to refuse to be discouraged by the devil. Jonathan says, I am not going to be discouraged by this great army out there. I'm not going to be discouraged by my dad that's over there hiding under a pomegranate tree. I'm not going to be discouraged by these people that are hiding in the caves. I'm not going to be discouraged by these people that have left the country. I'm not going to be discouraged by all these people that are trembling in their boots. We'll find in a minute that some had actually gone over to the enemy. Well... Notice this armor bearer in verse 2. And his armor bearer said to him, what would you think that the armor bearer would say? <laughs> Sir, that's the most harebrained idea I've ever heard. But notice what he said. He says, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. He says, wherever you go, wherever you turn, I'm with you. It's sort of like General McCauley when he said nuts. The 101st Airborne says, boss, we're with you. We're going into battle. Have have you ever talked to any one of those guys that was pinned down there in the Ardennes? Have you ever talked to any of them? And if you ever, well, there's not many of them left. But if you ever have an opportunity to ask them something, I want you to ask one this question. Were you relieved when General Patton showed up on the scene? You know what they'll tell you? We didn't need him. <laughs> All right. 
Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men and will discover ourselves unto them. He says, We're going to go over there. We're going to pass through this rock in a hard place. We're going to go over where the Philistines are and we're going to reveal ourselves to them. We're going to let them see us. One man with one sword and his armor bearer. Does that seem wise to you? Notice what he just said. The God that we serve, he is able to save with a few or with many. Well, how few is a few? One man with one sword. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over to these men and will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus uh, uh, t- uh, unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place. It will not go unto them. But if they say uh, thus, Come unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered us, uh, them into our hand. He says, If they say, Come over to where we are, we are going to know that the Lord is on this battlefield with us. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that the Lord is on this battlefield with you tonight. You've already heard a powerful message on discouragement. That tells me that the Lord is on this battlefield with you tonight. All right. He says, and this shall be a sign unto you. And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. Can you, if you were standing to one side, and by the way, some of Saul's spies were watching this, by the way. We have a record of this because they were watching it. These two men just stood up there and this whole Philistine army was out there ahead of them. If you were one of Saul's spies over there watching that from adjacent hill, what would you have thought? My goodness, we're going to have a funeral this evening. All right, but watch what happens. And both of them discovered themselves in the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they hid themselves. He said, These cowards, they're, they're cowards. They're, they're, they're coming out of the holes. They're, they're too scared to even stay in the holes. They were mocking them. Do you know that there's people in this country right now mocking you? So what are you going to do? You're going to tremble in your boots? You're going to hide in the caves? You're going to flee the country? You're going to go over to the other side? You're going to join Saul over there under the pomegranate tree? They said, come unto us and we will show you a thing. He says, you come on unto us. We're going to show you what real soldiering is all about. That is when Jonathan knew that the Lord was on the battlefield with him that day. And he knew that the battle was won right then. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. I mean, the first sword had not been drawn, but Jonathan concluded that the battle is won. I assure you this evening that the battle is won. Our Lord is on the battlefield, and I trust that you will be of good courage knowing that the victory is ours because the Lord got it. Now watch what happens. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and the armor bearer after him. I like that armor bearer. I like Jonathan with the sword, but I like that armor bearer. That armor bearer recognized that there was a man following God by faith. When we recognize a man that's following God by faith, we ought to follow him. You know what Paul said? You know, uh, you, you do as I have done, as I've done in the Lord. You do like I've done. You do like I tell you to do as I've told you the word of God. All right. 
So if I tell you this evening that you have reason to be a good courage, do you? I'm reading it to you out of the Word of God. Now, watch what happens. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. So Jonathan was uh, was taking them down with a sword, and the armor bearer was putting them to sleep behind him. And after, the, and after that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men uh, within, uh, as it were, a half acre of land. In a half acre space, one man with one sword and his armor bearer slew 20 men over a half acre. That must have been some battle. That was the first battle. One man with one sword against 20 trained Philistine soldiers. Saul's spies are watching from a hill. Do you know that most of the time in a battle, no matter how dreadful it is, all it takes is one man to stand up and say, we're going to win this war. I preached my uncle's funeral. I read his citations. He served in World War II in the South Pacific and in the Korean War. During World War II in the South Pacific, his unit was put out on a beach. As soon as they were put on the beach, the boats that put them there backed away. Immediately, the Japanese opened fire and killed nearly everybody in his unit. There was only a few left. All the officers were gone, and he was in charge. So what would you do in a case like that? Are you going to tremble? Are you going to run back into the sea? What are you going to do? His citation says... He assembled his men, he launched a counterattack, he disabled the small arms fire and, and destroyed the, the automatic weapons and put the enemy to flight. One man stood up and said, we are going to win this battle. All right. Jonathan went on the battlefield with his sword and slew about 20 men in the space of about a half acre. All right, verse number 15. And there was a trembling in the host in the field. This is the host of the Philistines. There's a trembling in the host of the Philistines. Among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked. One man says, I believe God. I'm going into battle. I am not going to give up. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to face the enemy. One man says, I'm going into battle. Come on, armor bearer. Let's go. Let's move. Let's take the point. Let's go ahead. Let's prove that God is on this scene with them. They went. They slew 20 men. And then God sent an earthquake. So it was a very great trembling. And the watchman of Saul, in verse number 16 in Gibeah, and of Benjamin, looked and beheld the multitude melted away. These spies were sitting on the hill, and they watched the Philistines' army, and they just melted away. This whole army that had frightened and discouraged Israel, they just melted away because God was on the battlefield. And they went on beating down one another. It got so bad they were destroying each other. I love it when the enemy starts destroying themselves. 
All right, verse number 18. And Saul, Saul said unto Ahiah, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time of the judge. I want to tell you something. He didn't need the ark on the battlefield because God was on that battlefield. God was on that battlefield. Verse number 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle, and behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. That's the Philistines. They were fighting against themselves, and they were so confused that the confusion that they had brought to Israel was now upon them because God sent an earthquake that scared them, that discouraged them. They were so confused that they were killing each other. And there was a great discomfiture. That means they, they were discomfited. That means they were upset. They were scared. They were cast down. Now the enemy is discouraged because God is on the battlefield. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, uh, the he did you get that? Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, uh, because some of the Philistines had gotten so discouraged at home, they said, well, we're just going to go join the enemy. I'm afraid that in this country we have a lot that have joined the enemy. Now listen to this. When they saw this, when they saw what one man had done, one man with one sword and his armor bearer went onto the battlefield, when they saw the courage of one man, the faith of one man, and what God did on that battlefield, they said, oh, we're going back to Israel. Which went up with him into the camp from the country and round about. Even they also turned to be with Israel that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. He says, everybody's coming from everywhere. Those people that hid themselves in the caves, those folks that were trembling, even those that were sitting under the pomegranate tree with Saul, those that had gone to the enemy, now they're on the battle. They're chasing the Philistines. What have they got? They don't have any swords. They got the sword of the Lord. They got the might of God. They're going into battle. Now notice what is in verse number 23. So the Lord. You got this? Now listen. So the Lord saved Israel that day. I quoted a similar passage of scripture the other day and acquainted it to our country and a brother told me, says, well, this nation is not the church. You know what my response to that was? No, but the church is in this nation. And this nation has been blessed because the church is here. Let us never forget that. So when the enemy is out to discourage us, let us not be discouraged. And we have a sword, by the way, do we not? We still have it. We ought to take this sword and be of great courage and go on to the battlefield. And when we find someone that's discouraged, what did Peter say to 1 Peter 3 and 15? We're to be get ready to give an answer to those who ask a reason of the hope that is in. If they see you going forward with a sword in your hand, uh, serving God, being of good courage, somebody's going to ask you about your courage, your hope, and we need to be ready to give them an answer. And that's the next message. May God bless you my prayer.